Hi all, you're listening to PR Hangover, a bi-weekly public relations podcast and talk show brought to you by Grand Valley State University's PRSSA chapter and hosted by me, Hunter Buren. Now you can sit back, get a cup of coffee, relax, and enjoy the show. Thanks! All right, we'll start out. I'll have you introduce yourself. All right. Um, my name is Alex Ignatius. I am an associate director at Ogilvy Public Relations, um, and I work primarily in their corporate practice, um, working on a bunch of different types of clients. I would say mostly uh, F&B clients um, around executive leadership profiling, um, corporate communications, and uh, crisis management. And when did you move to Shanghai to start working here? I moved to Shanghai about three years ago. Okay. Um, but I've worked with Ogilvy for now about six years. Mm-hmm. I did three years back in their office in Washington, D.C., and then uh, now almost three years here in Shanghai. Okay. Um, what have you noticed that's been different from working here in China with the same company versus working in the U.S.? I would say one of the biggest, there's a lot of differences, um, but one of the biggest differences has been, um, I would say something as simple as like a brainstorm meeting that you do for for PR, for advertising, any type of of industry like that. Um, It's really been a struggle in China uh, to have a fruitful brainstorm. Uh, The way people are sort of uh, trained is around rote memorization and the idea of sort of creative creative thinking, creative brainstorming is sort of a foreign idea. It's really difficult to grasp. Um, so I think for my own development, I've become a more outgoing person since I've been mm-hmm. in Shanghai because someone has to be the, uh, the instigator of something like a brainstorm to throw out crazy ideas and to encourage, um, yeah, young, young Chinese executives to say something that might be stupid and to push outside their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So that's been, uh, yeah, the biggest difference and also, um, yeah, something I've sort of pushed forward in my own team since I've been here. And with relating to publics here versus the U.S. and then also in your fields, have you found that there are certain things that might have worked in the U.S. that don't work here? Have you been surprised that certain things work better here than in the U.S.? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, China is such such a different market. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... You know, one thing in particular that I don't work a lot in, but I've observed sort of from the outside is something like social media, um, which in the U.S. obviously uh, you know you have to have it, mm-hmm. but um, the importance of it here in China is so much greater. Um, I think I, I used to work on projects that were cross cross office. So uh, in D.C., I would work on projects that had a China counterpoint. So I've been on the receiving end of getting feedback of what works in China. And they would always say social, social. And you sort of assume, you know, it's like, well, of course we'll do social. And it's sort of like a, you know, sometimes could be an afterthought or something. But in China, it is on a whole nother level that is, I think when you're in the U.S., you don't realize just how important it is, but it can, yeah, make or break your work. It has to be done so delicately and specifically. Um, 
and uh, is totally different from how the U.S. operates, yeah. how um, even other markets in Asia operate. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. with your job as an associate director at Ogilvy, would you like to take us through maybe a day in the life of your job? What you typically do, or a day in the week, a week in the life of your job? <laughs> I know that there's a lot of things that you have to do around here. Sure. Uh, one of the reasons I joined PR actually is because no two days are alike. Uh-huh. Um, I think that was the thing I asked in my interview. I asked sort of a similar question when I first interviewed with Ogilvy, like uh, to you know an executive vice president. Tell me about your day. You know, a day in the life, so I can get a taste of it. And 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 that's what she said. No two mm-hmm. days are alike, and that's proven to be a hundred percent true. Um, yeah, and for that reason, I do a mix of things every day. So um, I work on uh, three to four clients plus new business, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, lately, I've worked a large percentage of my time on the uh, Aldi account, which is the Aldi grocery store chain. Okay. It's a German company, but uh, they own, you know, they own Trader Joe's. They own. Mm-hmm. Then there's a, a bunch of uh, large stores in the U.S. So they recently entered China. So that's probably the majority of my time is spent on that account. Um, so it's uh, so it's yeah meetings with clients. Um, I meet with my team a lot. Um, uh, there's about five people um, that I manage for a variety of different clients. Um, you know, phone calls, emails, running around to. Uh, you know, site checks for mm-hmm. an event, for example. Um, yeah, so it's always, always different. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, with country or companies like Aldi um, that are just making their way into the China market, are there things that maybe you've seen that they, are there different ideas that they have of the market that maybe when they actually go into the market, they're proven wrong? Are there a lot of... Um, things that they believe about publics in China that maybe are some misconceptions? Have you seen that with international companies coming into China when they begin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think international companies coming into China, they um, oftentimes will... So I guess there's two major sort of like pitfalls that companies might make. One is to assume a one-size-fits-all strategy mm-hmm. that... You know, especially for really big companies, actually, uh, even more so, I would say this applies to, to big companies that are successful globally, um, to come in and say, we've been successful successful globally in the U.S., in, in Europe, even in greater Asia, you could say, so I'll just use this strategy for China and it'll be fine because I'm a big name and I'm who I am. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a major, you know mistake a lot of companies make. Um, Aldi has been amazing in that way, that they um, are a fairly decentralized company and they, you know, really take the time to learn about the local market and to plan the right strategies for entering. So, Mm -hmm. um, but I would say generally for international companies, that's a big thing. China is so different. Um, It's so big and, uh, you know, I think particularly for international companies coming in, China's quite skeptical, mm-hmm. um, and consumers can be quite skeptical of international companies coming in. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second is that um, I think a lot of times international companies won't 
consider the importance of the government in their um, in their strategy. So uh, probably about a year ago, we had a new business meeting. It was this, uh, we didn't end up getting the business and nothing happened from it, but um, it was a chocolate company and they wanted to do their um, market entry into China in Shanghai. So we went to, ho- mm-hmm. to a hotel and we met with them to sort of hear about their company. And there was no mention of any conversations they'd had with the government about this event even and entering China and things like that. And it was, it was shocking. Um, I think a lot of other countries and you know, I've only worked now in DC and in Shanghai, but, um, you know, you, you can treat it as sort of like a, maybe a side, something you deal with later or something like that. But, but in China, Ensuring that you're aligned with the government, particularly the local government and even the district level government, is really, really important. So uh-huh. um, we'd always advise to sort of begin nurturing those relationships early um, so that nothing's a surprise. Um, everything is uh, well thought out and planned and everybody's sort of aware of what's going on. So with the um, increased participation with, of the government and the more strict government here, do you think that it's more difficult to reach out to certain publics here, or do you just have to choose a different approach with the different culture and with the different government here? Um, I mean, yeah, you always have to choose a different approach. I rely heavily on my Chinese colleagues. Most of this is done in Chinese, mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll be more of like a counselor on approaches, but ultimately, you know, uh, pitching media, meetings with the government, that's all done in Chinese. Um, my Chinese is definitely not at the level where I can have a sophisticated conversation. Um, just, you know, tell my cab driver directions. That's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, it's different. You've got to, yeah, speak to different cultural nuances and things like that. So, um so with um, crisis communication, because I know you deal a little with that, mm-hmm. um, is it with the government here, do you think that it it just breaks differently, a crisis? Because I know in the U.S. something happens and pretty much right away it's on social media. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, maybe it's on WeChat right away, but you can't see it. Um, how do you think crisis communication here is different than that at the U.S.? Yeah, well, I think... The point about social media is, you know, very, very similar. And if anything, it's more important here in China. Like, mm-hmm. the the rate at which a crisis can start is just, you know, it's unbelievable. It can happen so quickly. Um, so an important part of, you know, any crisis is the monitoring, you know, making sure that you're on top of every uh, you know, social and online and new media platforms, you're reading everything. Um, so you can, uh, assess if it gets to a breaking point that you need to respond or if it's sort of being controlled. Um, you know, the difficult part with that is, you know, we chat a lot of conversations are private and things like that. Mm -hmm. The same with, you know, the U S and Facebook, a lot of accounts are protected. Um, so you can't see the beginnings of it often sometimes, but then when it gets to a critical level, you know, when it's being talked about more widely, um, you know, then you can read the conversation and assess it. So mm-hmm. yeah. so do you think that um, 
maybe the time difference here because we're 12 hours ahead of mm-hmm. the U.S. Do you think that, um, do you deal with the U.S. Um, a lot with your current job? And also, if you're, you had a client here that maybe was in a crisis, would it be a lot more difficult to communicate that to the U.S. because of the time difference? What do you think are some of the more difficult things about that? Um, yeah, we do some work with, with the U.S. Um, I think sometimes the time difference works to our advantage because you can, you're working 24 hours essentially. If you get something done and you send it to the U.S. and you need their input or something like that, uh, you know, when you wake up the next morning, it's done. So it can work to your advantage. In crisis situations, um, you know, you've got to be, any crisis situation, you're committing to being available 24 hours Mm -hmm. a day. So, um, you know, if they're on alert, then they'll go to bed late, wake up early, and it'll, you know, be that way for a few days. And you just sort of, you know you're getting into that when it starts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've worked on crisis before, it's just the way it goes. So... And I know a lot of the ways um, companies deal with crises in the U.S. is press releases and things of that nature. And I was talking with uh, a Chinese um, local here earlier, and she said that key opinion leaders are very, very important here. Mm-hmm. And so do you think that press releases, when a crisis does hit, are important to put out, or are there other ways of letting the public know what you're doing to fix this um, uh, here. Yeah, uh, I would completely agree with what she said. I mean, key opinion leaders are so important. Um, I would add to that, key opinion leaders and the government are really important in a in a crisis. Um, you know, anytime something, e- either we know a crisis is going to happen, like there's an announcement planned about a change in, um, you know, a closing of a factory or a change in management or something like that, we know something's going to happen, um, we will really plan out that communication strategy. So what are the different audiences we need to talk to? Is it, you know, it's media, it's key opinion leaders, it's government, it's obviously the public, Mm -hmm. it's the internal company, uh, the employees, um, uh, and for each one there's sort of a different strategy, a different way we're going to talk to them. Is it if we pick up the call, the phone, and you know make a make a phone call? Do we go for an in-person meeting? Is it an email? Is it a press mm-hmm. release? Um, so all of those will will differ slightly. Um, yeah, obviously certain audiences are more sensitive; they've got to be handled much differently. Um, but that said, yeah, a press release sometimes is relevant. It really depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's a tough decision whether or not you do want to re- do a press release. Um, a lot of times it's adding fuel to the fire yeah. uh, if you make go out and make a big statement. So, you know, it goes back to the sort of monitoring of the situation, which is sort of a core uh, principle of crisis. You've got to be aware of what that conversation level is. Uh-huh. And when it gets to, uh, a, a, and in advance, I would say, define that threshold. When it passes the threshold, um, yeah, then then it's time to be reactive, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so I know in college you studied psychology. Do yes. you think that um, that different background has given you a lot of maybe an up to some of your coworkers uh, or just a different um, 
a different viewpoint on a lot of things, especially while dealing with a crisis, while dealing reaching out to publics here. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think? What do you think is the biggest uh, maybe pro that that gave you in the marketing and PR um, field, and maybe the biggest con? Okay. Um, I loved majoring in psychology and the reason why I majored in psychology is very similar to the reason I chose PR. Mm -hmm. It combines science. Um, you learn about the way people think in a very scientific way, why they make decisions. Um, that's sort of like also behavioral economic side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you also get to write. Um, and, uh, yeah, also it's, it's, it's critical thinking and creativity. So it sort of combined those two. Um, and I think that was so beneficial for my, um, for, for PR now. Um, uh-huh. Just understanding the principles that, yeah, that guide people's decision making. Um, some from a more scientific approach. Um, but then also you write so much um, in PR. And I love to write. So um, that preparation in, in college. I also went to, I, I went to Columbia and mm-hmm. sort of liberal, liberal arts, uh, you you know, I, I chose a bunch of different courses that allowed me to write and think creatively. And I think that preparation as well um, helped in, in PR now. Um, also being one of the few foreigners in my office, yeah. um, I get a lot of people come to me for writing. Um, and uh, a lot of times they'll come to me for writing, though, since I've sort of proven my worth uh, in writing for uh-huh. English. They'll come with Chinese and say, I want to talk through this concept um, and we'll talk about it in English, but then they'll go back and write it in Chinese just um, because I, I, I do think I got good training in, in writing and a good writer is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think um, working at Ogilvy and being a foreigner here, being higher up in the company, do you think that there's this sort of uh, communication barrier that you find a lot of the times with working with locals um, in your company? Obviously, it's a great idea to have all of these different people from all these different places, but do you find oftentimes that you're just on a completely different page? <laughs> uh, sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, it's difficult um, uh, to not speak the language fluently. I, I, I can pick up, I would say, on like 30% of conversations mm-hmm. if it's a really simple topic, maybe yeah. a larger percentage. Um, but that that was something I had to adjust to. Um, I'm a type of person that's very detail-oriented and can uh, get on the verge of micromanaging. But yeah. I would say that's being in Shanghai has been really good for that because um, you have to kind of let things go. Um, you can't be in all conversations all the time and know exactly what's going on. Um, and yeah, to be a manager of an account and sort of let things go a little bit, it's, Uh you know, it's, it's been good for me. Um, but yeah, it is something you do have to let go. Um, you've got to trust your Chinese colleagues that they're sort of on top of their pieces. Um, because especially when your client is Chinese as well, they're going to feel much more comfortable talking to your, um, you know, Chinese colleagues. Um, So you've got to sort of get used to that sort of sharing of roles um, and sort of let let some things go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think that uh, the culture in China really bleeds into the work environment here, like the 
it's a very collectivist culture. Do you think that is uh, definitely you can see that through working here r- relating to back in the U.S.? Definitely. There's a different work environment. Um, for example, I think a perfect example is like the way people eat lunch. Like mm-hmm. in the U.S., when I worked there, everyone ate at their desk. Um, and you, yeah, you, you, you come to work if you decide to take a long lunch and go out maybe to a restaurant or something, even uh-huh. across the street. A lot of my colleagues would email and say, I will be leaving for lunch. I will be unavailable for one hour. Uh-huh. And it was like that was, uh, you, you really had to like alert everyone. Um, the result of that was that your email box was then flooded with emails saying that someone's going to lunch. So, um, but, but that's the way the U.S. works. I think it's, you know, during office hours, you're in the office. You should be seen and you're there. Um, here, uh, you know, something like lunch, and I would say mealtime is very important to Chinese people uh-huh. um, and being together and sharing meals. So lunch, everyone goes out to lunch. Um, you go out with your friends and, yeah, it's a time to just pause and have a good time and relax, and then you're back to work, Yeah. Um, which I think is great. I mean, it gives you time to sort of unwind and clear your head and get out, um, and then you're much more productive when you come back. But, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's just, yeah, it's a cultural difference. It's, yeah. Yeah, so. So with um, cultural differences, there's the debate about standardization versus localization in international PR. Mm. Um, Would you say, since you've worked uh, in both the U.S. and China, would you say that you'd prefer standardization because it's an easier way to keep all the company on track, or Mm. do you think localization is more important because everyone is different in every country? Um, It's a mix of both. (laughs) Uh So I think actually Ogilvy is a perfect example of it, just their company. Um, there are, uh, you know, Ogilvy was founded by David Ogilvy. Um, he's sort of God at Ogilvy. Uh-huh. Um, his photo is everywhere. Um, the color red, which is the color of Ogilvy, you know, all of the walls are, are yeah. red and your folders are red and everything like that. Um, and everyone knows his, his quotes, you know, his famous quotes about, um, about PR and advertising. Um, so... He is everywhere in the D.C. office. He is everywhere here in the Shanghai office. And Uh we follow his principles. Um, uh, Yeah, he was an advertising man. We follow his principles of advertising. Um, Even the way you get reviewed um, on an annual basis, your performance reviews are based on his principles and Mm -hmm. how you stack up to them. Um, But then with that, you know, the Shanghai office is is really, it's, it's a Chinese yeah. Office. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot more uh, celebrations. And we had, you know, in the, we had a new office opening. Um, and maybe in the U.S. it would just be, you know, you know, cocktails or something like that yeah. at 5 o'clock and everyone gets together. But here we did a feng shui sh- ceremony. So the feng shui master came in, and there was the um, uh, the lion dancing and everything, and mm-hmm. you know it. That is very China. Yeah. Um, so it was. It's this mix. So you know, coming here, I felt very at home, uh, being from Ogilvy in D.C. and then Ogilvy uh-huh. here. I felt those similarities, but it was sort of on a different 
different level that obviously you have to get used to, but that you feel is very um, localized and specific to the audience and, and takes those uh, nuances into account. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Was there anything that you'd like to leave us with? That's it. It was great to talk to you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, too. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and make sure to tune in next time for GVSU's PR Hangover with Hunter Buren. Bye!